I would encourage all the entrepreneurs out there listening to the show who feel like they have no freaking idea what's going on with their business, <clears throat> even though all the blog posts say that they should by now, to just relax and to just let you know like no one else does either. And the people that say they do are selling you something. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from leading SaaS entrepreneurs and operators across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the global conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, which returns to Dublin October 15th to the 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Alex Humer, and on this episode, I speak with Matthew Bellows, CEO of Yesware, the leading provider of sales software coming out of Boston. Matthew is one of the many speakers we'll have at SaaStock 18 this year. Before we make it to Dublin, we're bringing SaaStock to a city near you. We'll be going to 12 cities across four continents over the next 12 months. First up is London on March the 21st, where we'll gather 300 SaaS founders, their executive teams and local VCs, an epic day of content, learning and networking. We have amazing speakers such as Des Trainer, co-founder of Inscom. We'll talk about company alignment and how to keep the main thing the main thing. Ryan Singer, head of strategy at Basecamp, talking about positioning your company and how Basecamp works and Sitar Telly, managing partner of Connect Ventures, together with Philippe Pateri, partner at Axel, reveal how their portfolio companies have nailed it when it comes to growth. See the full agenda and more details, head over to sasdoc.com forward slash on tour, forward slash city, forward slash London. Early bird prices for London available until February the 28th. My guest on this podcast, Matthew Bellows, is something of an accidental salesman. Never was a career he planned for himself, but as soon as he began working, he figured that was where he'd be best used to a business. Through the years, he got into more managerial roles and eventually became a VP of sales, the job, however, from which he was eventually fired. It was the last straw that finally led him to start Yesware and fix the very things that had prevented him from doing his job more effectively through the years. Yesware started as a freemium tool, helping out salespeople, and for the first years had almost solely product-led growth. As it transformed into something eradicating the need for salespeople to manually capture their progress on deals, and enabling VPs to tap into the workflow, the sales team behind Yesware needed to increase. Matthew found himself in a tough situation of aiding that growth, all the while still acting as the company's CEO, a predicament which became the topic of a New York Times article. What is striking is how real and candid Matthew is, both when he speaks about what he ended up doing in that situation, or why being the role model for his people is the most important role of the CEO, but also when it comes to more specific topics such as why Yesware killed freemium and what was the impact on customers. We basically said, you can convert to Yesware by the end of such and such a date. We put everybody on a free trial, try the new product the best it is, make your choice, and then if you don't choose Yesware, here are some other cheaper options. Why companies should look for internal rather than external metrics for word of mouth and virality. We look at spread within a domain as one measure of that. And the first user at a new company, the first active user in the last six months or year at the company, how quickly does it spread to subsequent users? Why there never is an endpoint to the SaaS journey and what to do about it as a CEO. Facing these difficult obstacles is the job. And and that's the thing they pay us for, is like to try to figure out how to overcome these obstacles by marshalling other resources, learning new things, re-examining your previous assumptions that were totally wrong, looking within and saying, how am I how am I personally limiting the growth of this team by my habits? Before we get to my conversation with Matthew, a quick reminder to drop a review for the SaaS Revolution show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Helps other founders and operators find the show and learn from our amazing guests. 
Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Matthew Bellows, uh, co-founder and CEO of Yesware. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, Alex. Great to be here. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, joining us uh, today, Matthew. Um, really looking forward to uh, chatting with you on uh, on this episode. Um, obviously, we, I think, first connected in um, uh, in December of, of 2017 um, uh, when we had the trip to, to Boston, and uh, now is a good opportunity to uh, maybe dive deeper into you know some of the topics that we we, we might have uh, touched upon um, you know during that uh, initial conversation. So, uh, first of all, Matthew, um, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Tell, tell the audience who is Matthew Bellows. Uh, I ask myself that question all the time, actually. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm the CEO and co-founder of Yesware, okay. and uh, we started this business about seven years ago now, six and a half, seven years ago. And, um, and right now we're one of the leading providers of sales software in the world. Well, what, what were you doing before Yesware, uh, uh, before you traded? Um, yeah, before Yesware, I was the VP of sales at a venture-backed uh, startup here in Boston. Um, and I had done that for about three years. I, I've basically been in sales for most of my career, um, either as a quota-carrying salesperson or like a business development person or a sales manager, or um, at my first startup, first startup I did with my partner Cashman, I was the CEO, but I was basically the sales guy. So um, this has been, you know, the career, not the career I planned for, actually. I didn't, I didn't expect to be in business. I didn't actually expect to be in sales, but uh, it turns out that that's the best way for me to add value to a company. So I found myself in sales roles again and again and again, and uh, I loved it, actually. And... Um, and so when I got, you know, actually when I got fired from my last job, I, uh, I said, it's time to fix some of these problems that I keep running into. Okay. Interesting, interesting point. So, so I mean, do, does anybody ever like plan to be in a, a, a sales role? Um, I mean, like similarly, uh, I found myself doing sales after, uh, you know, going to university, traveling for a year, and then it's like, what do I do now? And just yeah. sales. And then when you actually look at, Pretty much every business, no matter what category the business is, you know everybody's really kind of selling anyway. You know that's uh, that's what we're doing. So, and then you you uh, you had this sales career, and within the sales career, there, there were problems that you you sort of noticed that you you wish that you, you know could be solved, and uh, you know hence kind of yesware was uh, was born, right? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, um, the biggest problem I was facing as the VP of sales was that you know, every quarter I had to go in front of the board and I had to tell them what deals were going to close when for how much. Mm-hmm. And we were doing, I think we probably had uh, eight or nine salespeople on the team, small team doing pretty big deals, uh, 100,000 to million dollar deals. And with big companies, long sales cycle, difficult technical integration, lots of variables. And you know, with a small team, small company, big deals, there's a, so much variability that putting together that forecast was just a nightmare, just really, really, really hard to do. But my job was on the line every time I stood up in front of the board telling them what deals were going to close when. And I was just like, this is not the way I'm doing it, which is sort of like quote unquote best practices is not the final state of this industry. And in fact, software could really, really help here. So that was the inspiration to sort of start off and found Yesware. So, um, I mean, sales forecasting, I, I could use, you know, Salesforce or Pipedrive or many of, you know, the other kind of CRMs 
um, you know, out there. How does Yesware enhance, uh, you know, our, our VP of sales and sales director's ability to forecast better? Um, you know, how, how, how does that uh, uh, come about? Well, the basic, um, the basic thesis with Yesware is that if you get into the workflow of an individual salesperson, then you, one, remove the need to manually update the CRM. So you save that salesperson an hour or two of time, which is very valuable. And But more importantly, by getting into the workflow, you get a sense of what's really happening as opposed to what the salesperson said was happening. So every Friday in my old job, I would walk around the sales floor and say, guys, update your sales force, update your sales force. And they would roll their eyes at me and be like, oh, whatever, good call, good call, good call. And I would get nothing of what I needed. And even the most diligent, hardest working, most, you know, sort of... Um, stick in the mud salespeople who diligently update everything in Salesforce are still not only wasting time, but they can't capture all the data that's going on. They can only capture their side of it, not what the prospect is doing, which is actually the most important thing. And so by getting into the workflow of the salesperson, we then get granular access to much richer data sets that we can use to inform the forecasts of the, of the sales leadership. So you actually know not what the beat, what the salesperson says is going to happen, but what is happening with each of these different interactions. Yeah, uh, I think well, it's, it's a pain point that I think you know every probably VP of sales uh, knows well. And uh, you know, having had a, a long sales career myself, uh, I remember those conversations with the VP of sales like, about updating Salesforce, and it was a, a kind of roll your eyes. Oh. Yeah. You have to do that. So uh, it, it, it seems like you, you, you have a great solution there. Like, tell us a little bit more about <clears throat> the company, though. You know, you started seven years ago. How big is it? What kind of numbers can you share? You know, how many customers, ARR, uh, employees, etc. Yeah, so we, we started, um, we, we're, we're about, uh, I'm trying to think what I, I shouldn't, shouldn't say, but. Um, <laughs> only, only what you're comfortable with. I know, it's kind of it's weird, these whole all these things, but uh, the easy things to share are things like, you know, we, we've raised about $35 million from venture capitalists like Google Ventures and Foundry Group at Battery Ventures. Um, so we have a very good tier of investors. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about, I can tell you, we have about 60,000 paying users of Yesware. Um, so those are people that are like using it in a day in day out basis and are paying us a subscription for it. We have three tiers of subscription. So we have a $15 a month, $25 a month and $55 a month, um, subscriptions. And, um, and we do, you know, we do volume discounts and things like that. So, um, you know, you can sort of back into the revenue, but, um, it's, it's approaching $20 million in run rate revenue right now. Um, we're, we're, we're not profitable, but we could be profitable if we want to, um, you know, our investors are really supportive and want to buy more yes for equity, but we're, we haven't done around and we haven't raised money in a couple of years now. And I, I think we're, we're starting to get to the point there. Maybe we should do around, get to the next level of growth. Okay. I mean, you know, some, some great numbers there and, uh, uh obviously great, uh, VCs in your corner as well. Um, so it's uh, great to kind of, uh, understand that picture, uh, you know, of, of you as a business. Now, um, we go back to, I, I guess, you know, seven years ago, you know, getting your initial customers, um, you know, with your sales background pedigree, I, I'm assuming, uh, that certainly helped that you leading the sales charge, um, uh, and, and perhaps signing up those first customers. But I mean, you know, 
was it easy? Uh, I guess it never is. But you know, how did you get those those first ten customers uh, uh, for Yesware? Well, our initial um, sort of design constraint was to say, okay, our end goal is to get into the sales workflow. But the way that we're going to do that is actually by helping the individual salesperson, by making their life easier and by making them more successful. And if we do that, then we earn the right to be in the data flow. But if we don't do that, then like we got to figure that out first. So actually, I didn't do the first sales. Um, and, and, and we actually didn't do any sales at all. We basically had a, a free trial that we put on the website and let people download and try the product for free. Um, and then after a certain period of time, they could put in a credit card to convert to a paid user. Um, and we grew that way for about a year um, solely on the strength of the product. It's very much a grassroots, bottoms-up, you know, Dropbox, Slack kind of approach. And, um, and then we started getting critical mass at some of the companies where those salespeople worked. And then we started selling... Uh, licenses for the enterprise subscription. Okay, very and cool. I did, I did probably half of those deals, and then we had a, I had a guy, uh, a young kid out of college that did the other half. So you, you got a bottom up and top down sort of approach, but started yep. yeah started with the uh, with the freemium. And there there was uh, I guess that leads nicely. There was there was an article or is article online uh, from the New York Times in uh, in 2014. Um, where they discuss with you about the struggle of converting these free users, you know, into paid. Yeah. Um, uh, in, an interesting article. We can link to it in the in the show notes. But what it doesn't say, I think, at the end, or, or certainly we haven't read the follow up article, is how you solve that problem. Because um, uh, yeah. they, 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 <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit how, how, how did you solve, solve the problem? Well, I mean, the, the article basically talks about. Um, before what it was like before we hired our first VP of sales and how I had built a sales team at Yesware to try to, to try to convert all these incoming leads into, you know, enterprise company relationship, company to company relationships to do the, we were good at the B2C, B2 professional, and we needed to get better at going from the professional to then the, the other business part of it. And, um, you know, the article's, I would recommend it. It's it's kind of painful to read still to me now, uh, but um, you know the way that we solved that dilemma was basically by me saying, admitting to myself that I couldn't both be a good CEO and a good VP of sales at once, and frankly, admitting to myself that I'm actually not that good of a VP of sales. I'm a much better salesperson than a sales manager, and so I should go and hire a great sales manager. And so I, we did that and, and brought in a woman named Bridget Gleason, who uh, was our first VP of sales and just was incredible at organizing the foundations of the team. And that was the starting of, you know, having a sales team here. Okay. Very cool. Uh, and so um, you mentioned, I think 60,000 customers um, uh, paying customers. Um, uh, and I, I guess perhaps there's maybe hundreds of thousands more on uh, um, you know, on, on trials or on the freemium um, uh, sort of side of things. Um, we actually stopped the freemium piece. We, we have it. a free trial okay. now, but we, okay. we killed the freemium product about a year and a half ago. Why, why, did you, why did you kill it? Because, you know, after four years of supporting literally hundreds of thousands of free users and looking at the data every which way we possibly could, we just became convinced that it was a waste of money. They were never going to convert. You know, the only way to get them to convert was to say, you got to pay by the end of the month or else 
Also, you can use all these free tools. Plus, along the way, a lot of other free and very, very inexpensive consumer-oriented sort of email tracking tools have sprung up. So, um, you know, we, we basically said you can convert to Yesware by the end, such and such a date. We put everybody on a free trial. Try the new product the best it is. Make your choice. And then if you don't choose Yesware, here are some other cheaper options for you. What, what was the, the immediate impact then of when, you know, killing freemium uh, and then, then just making it, you know, full sort of, you know, free trial pay plans. Did you see, um, you, you know, uh, a big impact, a positive Im- impact to the business? Yeah, well, I mean, we had that month, we had an incredible month, right? <laughs> we, had, we had a huge, you know, I can't even remember, but the conversion rate on those free people was surprisingly high, much higher than I thought it would be. So we had a fantastic month, but the, the real important impact was actually the follow-on because we could then focus much more on... Um, our core user, which is not the free person, but it's a professional salesperson who's got the money to pay for tools that help them make more money. Okay, very cool. And, and so the, the, your core user is this, uh, this, this salesperson. So obviously you have the, the persona of who your, your key customer is. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you go about uh, attracting uh, you know, these salespeople, finding new um, uh, you know, new users of, of Yesware, uh, you know, what is the, I guess, kind of marketing strategy uh, behind Yesware? Is it, uh, is, is it a word of mouth referral type thing or um, how, how does it work? Um, it's sort of, there's three different areas, main sort of inputs into the, you know, overall product trial. We're trying to drive at the, at the top of the funnel, we're trying to drive product trials. So we're trying to drive individual salespeople to try the product. And the way we get those people is we get uh, a lot of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Somebody at a company tries it, has a good experience in the first day or two or three or four, and then says to their other people, hey, check this thing out, and sends around a link. And we see that happen all the time, and it's so gratifying. And that's the purely product-led um, trials, PQLs, product-qualified mm-hmm. leads, we call them. Um, and then... Uh, content. So we write a ton of content on the blog, a lot about sales. We use a lot of the data that our user base generates to write blog posts about best practices for sales. Um, and we get a lot of, we get about between four and 500,000 visitors to the blog every okay. month. Okay. So it turns out to be like a little sales publication and actually at the end of the day, maybe yep. one of the ones out there, actually, I'm not even sure. Um, uh, and we get a lot of trials that come out of that. Um, and then the third category are like the online uh, directories and listing places from the Chrome store, the Google Apps Marketplace, the Salesforce App Exchange, mm-hmm. you know, G2 Crowds and many other review sites that are reviewing B2B apps. We get a bunch of trials from those as well. And then that all funnels down into like a 28-day free trial. And at the end, you either convert or you don't. Uh, word of mouth is uh, obviously you know an interesting one. If you've got a good product, um, you know your, your customers are happy. You, you know you, you expect that there's going to be some kind of word, word of mouth, uh, um, you, you know, around that building around that. Um, but a difficult one to to measure. Um, but you know, over I guess the last few years, you know, uh, NPS has kind of uh, um, you know arisen as a kind of metric where people say, well, you can kind of factor whether. Uh, you're going to have a, a good word of mouth or, or not. Is NPS something that is used within Yesware? Um, is, is that a metric uh, that's important for you guys? Yeah, we do, we do use it, and um, and we we have used it um, over the years on and off, and in the last two years pretty aggressively. 
in different ways we use it to measure retention and estimate whether a company is going to stay with us as well as an individual user. And we're kind of in the coming quarter bringing those two things together into an overall NPS score. Um, in my experience, it's it's very much of a backward-looking metric. So it's not as good for predicting word of mouth or, or measuring it. You know, the, the benchmarks are kind of all over the map with NPS. So it's really hard to say like we're doing much better or much worse than other people, especially other competitors. Things like this really have to be driven by internal benchmarks. Like, is this making me feel good? Am I proud to ship this? Does this really add value to the to me, to the end user? Am I as a craftsperson delivering a product? And is this a good product or not? Like that level of of a benchmark is probably much more effective than you know, an external measurement like NPS. But NPS is definitely directional and, and helpful. The, the, you, you mentioned these kind of in, internal benchmarks, but, I mean, is there anything else uh, or anything that you use to, to try and sort of measure uh, word of mouth? Um, uh, any, any, are there tools out there? I mean, I, I, I don't know. We look at spread within a domain as one measure of that. So given the first user at a new company um, or let's say a new, like the first active user in the last six months or year at the company, how quickly does it spread to subsequent users at the company as a way of estimating that? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's, there's not a lot of comparison stats there. So it's hard to know if we're doing really well or terribly. And, and, and this is true for e-commerce overall. I mean, it's one of the most frustrating things about doing a SaaS company is that you read all these blog posts about how easy it is to do. And how, like, you just got to measure NPS and just look at your churn and, you know, do more of the things that make better churn. And and it's like, it's just not like that. It's, it's just way more complicated and, and less certain than any of that stuff, you know. So I, I, I would encourage all the entrepreneurs out there listening to the show who feel like they have no freaking idea what's going on with their business, even though all the blog posts say that they should by now to just relax and just let you know, like no one else does either. And the people that say they do are selling you something. Yeah. I I mean, it's a a, a good point. And, and certainly when, you know, when we get together, um, you know, whether it's with, uh, you know, good folks like yourself and and your peers, you know, in Boston um, or, you know, bringing to, people together, you know, at SaaS stock, uh, we often find that, you, you know, everybody uh, like who you think, uh, yeah. you read about, surely they figured it out, yeah, yeah, but, but, they're, but they're saying, Oh, you know, this is, this is really tough, right? It, 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 it is yeah. really tough. Yeah. Um, um, but like, I mean, talking of, of, it, of it being tough, I mean, is there, is it just everything about it being tough or are there like some particular things which you found like, uh, surprisingly tough in, in you know, running a, a SaaS company and running Yesware? I think I think everyone's got their own set of challenges, and um, some and people that have the opportunity to keep working on it because the business doesn't fail, like inevitably run into the obstacles that um, that are most limiting their ability and their team's ability. So, in a sense, like survival is success. You know, you have the chance to keep going because you've survived past the obstacles that knocked you down. My basic description of startup life is, you know, have an inspiration, try to execute on that inspiration, hit an obstacle, come over the obstacle or fail, have another inspiration, (laughs) like repeat, repeat ad infinitum. 
you know, and the more, so the more, the more success you have, the more obstacles you run into. And what everybody tells me now is like, Oh, first it was like, wow, that first million dollars of ARR, that's, that's incredible. If you know what gets there, if you can get there, like, dude, you're set. That's incredible. And then it was like, okay, if you get to 10 million of ARR, then it's like, you're unkillable, right? Jason Lim, cause you're right. unkillable. You're, you know, and I'm like, right, we just got to get to 10, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, okay, once you get to 10, that's really cool. Congratulations. 25 is a whole different story, dude. Like, how are you going to get to 25? I'm like, oh my God, really? <laughs> 25? And then it's 50 and then it's 75. It's like, it doesn't stop. You know, the, the best companies in the world, the Apples and the Amazons of the world, like they want to get bigger, yeah. you know? And so, so really facing these difficult obstacles is the job. And, and that's the thing they pay us for is like to try to figure out how to overcome these obstacles by marshalling other resources, learning new things, re-examining your previous assumptions that were totally wrong, looking within and saying, how am I, how am I personally limiting the growth of this team by my habits or my missed opportunities or my, or my blind spots? So it's really a very, it's a very rich, awesome uh, environment for personal growth, actually. Still enjoying it? I love it. Yeah, I totally love it. It's bizarre. You know, I should be exhausted by now and I should be like kind of ready to hang it up or something, but I just want to keep going. It's so cool. I got the best team and I love our customers and I love our space. And I'd love to talk to you about the space too, if you, if you have a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, t- t- tell us more. Uh, well, here's the thing. Like, we're seven years into this thing. When we started this, there was no category called sales software. You know, we would walk it up and down the BC route in Boston, and they would be like, there is no, there's nothing there. There's marketing automation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, there's going to be sales, sales software as a category, man. I'm sure it is. It's going to work. You should invest in it now. And, um, and sure enough, you know, there is a category now. It's, it's a very competitive category. And there's lots of companies doing it and lots of new entrants all the time. And every week I get an email from someone else being like, hey, and I'm doing this cool thing on the phone or I'm taking video or doing social sales. or I love it. It's great. Or, or like bigger companies trying to get into it. Salesforce is trying yet again to do an email plugin. Like they've tried four times and this is their fifth time and maybe they'll get it right this time. I don't know. But like... The point is that it's dynamic, like it's happening. But I, my, my read on it is that we're very early days, that this is not, this is, it feels like a competitive category because we all go to the conferences and we all see each other and we're all trading logos with each other. You know, we're, we're competing for like the very early adopter piece of the market. Mm-hmm. And then the way it works in the crossing the chasm framework, which is like the technical technology adoption framework is that there's a big chasm between the early adopters and the early majority. And unless you as a company can cross that chasm, then it's a small business. And now I look at other people that we compete with and none of us are at scale. None of us are $50 million businesses. So like, how do we get to the next stage? How do we get into that early majority company? How do we get to be the company that you know, actually starts to drive meaningful revenues. And that's, that's the challenge we're working on now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great opportunity. And I, I, you know, I agree with you that like um, knowing the SaaS space sort of well and and SaaS companies, generally SaaS companies are early adopters of, you know, other SaaS tools always, you know, discovering, Hey, look at this new cool plugin tool, et cetera, to help 
us sell our, our SaaS, you know, uh, e- even better. Um, but there, there are just kind of these huge companies and uh, the majority out there that are just kind of just using email, right? And yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> some may not even have CRM, but you hope they do. And, and they don't have this 30, you know, or 10, 20, 30 different tools to kind of optimize them. So um, that will that will come. And I think you, you, you know yep. that. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you're, uh, it, it's, a, it's a good time, a good space uh, uh, to be in. Um, so excited to see how big, um, you know, yes, where many of the other uh, tools and companies uh, will become. And obviously, the Salesforce is now, what is it, 10 billion or will soon be 20 billion probably. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, how many other of these SaaS companies that are out there, like the intercoms and the Yeswares, are going to are going to become, you know, billion dollar, ten billion dollar, you know, and so on. So uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. Um, you, I know we're conscious we're, we're sort of running out um, uh, to the end of the show here. But just a couple more questions um, uh, for you, if, um, uh, if I may. Obviously, uh, I, I know, and I'm, uh, I'm pleased to, you know, uh, announce for those that don't know that you're coming over to Dublin in uh, October. I nearly said yep. something. Um, uh, for for Sastock eighteen, so super can't wait. yeah, super can't, excited. No, can't wait. Um, you you know, I th- I think we we have a great flavour here of what the listeners can expect. Um, you know, from you, um, and it's probably a little bit too far in advance in terms of you, you know what your uh, your talk will be about. But just tell us a little bit more about the um, perhaps um, you, you know what we can learn. You know, from you, you talk about in the beginning, you know, the bootstrapping versus venture funding, and sort of any ideas that you have. <laughs> Well, the the thing I'm I'm very excited to come to Dublin and meet uh, the people that come to your conference. I think I'm just I, I love traveling to Europe first of all, and, and second of all, I've never really been to Dublin and and I've uh, heard amazing things. So I'm very excited for it. And the the inspiration that I have and the sort of talk that I'm working on now is about um, it's tentatively called the real return on investment for startups. And the idea is basically something along the lines of the fact that, you know, most startups fail. And therefore, if you sort of do like a discounted cash flow model on doing a startup, you're an idiot to do one because you're likely to fail. And what you should really do is get a job at a company and like, and so what I want to do is actually want to talk about the real ROI of doing startups, which combines the discounted cash flow model plus the experiential learning and growth and development opportunities that you have doing a startup that you do not get any other way. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about how to know you're ready to do a startup and how, how to proceed, proceed on that path and what to learn and what to look out for and the obstacles that you come across and then how to sort of harvest those gains from a financial standpoint and a learning perspective and and so that that would be the sort of real ROI of doing a startup as opposed to just the the cash flow model that people talk about. Yeah, no, e- e- excellent point, and certainly um, uh, you know good to get some insights that you're already thinking about this talk and and, and something that I, I can you know uh, well I'm 100 percent excited to to see because certainly for me I'm, I'm in thir- the third year of you know running SaaS stock and running you know my own business and you know, the experience, you know, through the peaks and the troughs. It, <laughs> right. uh, it, it, it's something that I would never have got from, you know, what I was kind of doing, you know, previously. And, uh, I mean, it, yeah, I've learned so much and, you know, really enjoying it. Um, uh, so it's fantastic. But, yeah, definitely uh, that, that sounds amazing. And so super excited for that. But last question, Matthew. Um, I, I know that you mentioned uh, or we discussed that, you, you, you know, you, you do a bit of meditation or probably a lot more 
uh, than, than me. I've, I've been sort of, you know, trying it out with my Headspace app and finding a, the odd 10 minutes here and there. Um, but basically, uh, hopefully it's not a lead, leading question, but, you know, how do you, how do you keep healthy and sane, um, you know, as you, as you, as you uh, grow and scale sort of yes, we're in your seventh year? One of the things I've realized is that, you know, especially as we've grown as a business, um, my individual contributions as the CEO in terms of doing specific things has decreased and my, my team's contributions in terms of doing specific things have dramatically increased from, you know, two people to almost a hundred now. Um, but the, the most important thing is actually like how I show up. Um, the team, people on the team who know me well or don't know me at all, really, they read into how I, sh- how I appear, how I sound, um, how I look, how I dress, like they're, they're constantly looking at those things and, and asking themselves, like, is that good or bad? They're looking for external signals. And, and some people are good at reading those signals and some people are, aren't, you know, and some people like misconstrue. Um, so I, I'm more and more aware that, that my impact on the organization is to a, to a greater degree than I ever expected about how I appear um, how's my posture? How's my health? How's my, you know, everything. And, um, so I, I have made it a priority in the last four or five years to like take better care of myself than I did in the first four or five years, because, um, that's a, actually a lever that I can control and to one that I think makes an impact on the organization. So I, I practice meditation every day and probably four or five times a week for about an hour. So I have a pretty active meditation practice um, and I exercise, uh, you know, two or three times a week for an hour or two and a, to a, to an hour and a half um, in these different ways. And, and between those two things, like as long as I do one thing sort of for my, for myself per day, whether it's meditation or exercise, then I think that's, that's plenty enough. And that's, and I could, I should be able to block out an hour or two to take care of myself and that tends to serve the group as well. So it's sort of like an important part of, I feel like, my job, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think sort of, you know, the, the message there and certainly one that we, we're trying to sort of, you know, get across because we ask this question to everybody, you know, that we interview is that you know, don't forget to, you know, take care of, of yourself, you know, especially, you know, if you're, you're, you're running a business. And, I, I, you know, I speak to some founders that don't have holidays for, you know, kind of like several years and don't do anything, you know, outside of, of work. Um, but, you, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be kind of, you know, healthy for them or, you know, for the business in the, uh, in the long run. So here's what happens. So at some point, that's, that's necessary, right? Yeah. At some stages, like, you've got to crank, and there's, there's just no getting around that, and that's fine. But, it, um, but over a medium period of time, if you, the founder, don't take vacations, you're sending a message to all your team that it's not okay to take vacations. And vacations are actually, like, where a lot of work gets done in a bad, in a weird sense of the word. Like, just like going without sleep, doesn't give your brain a chance to rest and recharge and recover. Going without vacation doesn't give your body and brain a chance to synchronize again and realize what's important to you. And how many times have you actually had a good idea on vacation? You know, you're on the weekend, you're not thinking about work at all, and you're just like, oh, you know, I had... And the reason why you have those inspirations at those times is because your mind is open enough to put things together in a novel way that you didn't really expect before. And so if you just grind it out for years and years and years, like you're limiting yourself. And that's a bad, I think that is a bad 
prioritization algorithm you got going. Like, I just got to do these more emails and that's going to solve it. No, that's not, that's, that's not the way to do it. Sorry. Yeah, I agree, agree, agree. Um, so Matthew, um, been, been super, um, you know, uh, amazing, you know, to, to, to speak to you again. Um, and yeah, definitely sort of learned a lot from, uh, you know, the conversation. Um, it's been, you know, really enjoyable. Thank you so much for, uh, um, you know, being a guest today on, uh, uh, on this episode of the SAS Revolution Show. Yeah, I really, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love talking to you, Alex, so anytime. Yeah, and cheers, Matthew. Look forward to uh, listening to the talk in, uh, in Dublin. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show with Matthew Bellow, CEO and co-founder of Yesware, and have picked up valuable insights on being more customer-centric and making sound decisions as a CEO. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and see you next time.